Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Maybe I should have named this episode How to Motivate Homeowners and Consumers to Pick Up the Gold That's Sitting on the Kitchen Table. Hi, this is Neil Garfield broadcasting from Duval County this Tuesday, the 8th day of February 2022, joined by my co-host, Western U.S. counterparts, Charles Marshall, California attorney and legal consultant, and Bill Padalo. Great to be here, The leading national private investigator and forensic auditor. We're doing the show tonight to make up for whatever tech problem happened last Thursday, which I'm still not sure what happened. All three of us, either directly prevented or or have been highly instrumental in protecting homeowners from losing their homes. How and why do homeowners win? Two words, motivation and education. But tonight, we also will direct attention to money-making opportunities for homeowners and their lawyers in the form of pursuing disgorgement of money paid, damages for illegal administration collection and enforcement, and last but certainly not least, getting a fair share of what I now call the forced place securitization deal that homeowners were tricked into joining without consent or acceptance. Hey Charles and hey Bill, thanks for being here and thanks for your for, for your years of service in providing vital information to consumers and homeowners in particular. Well, absolutely, Neil. Yeah, glad to be here as well. So, I think we were talking about the three of us, our mission, and lest anybody forget. Our mission is to aid consumers in accomplishing two primary goals. First, to prevent anyone from successfully claiming the right to administer, collect, or enforce any unlawful claim against consumer homeowners. And second, to assist consumer homeowners in claiming their right to money damages and disgorgement of all money received by the investment banks or their conduits from the sale of securities, the sale of homes, and the collection of payments from consumer homeowners. And it appears that lawyers and homeowners need some prodding and reminders 
about compensatory, punitive, exemplary, and statutory damages. And how that those awards can then be used to clear title or get more damages from the real parties controlling the fake claims for administration, collection, or enforcement against homeowners for non-existent loan accounts. You know, a client of mine said that the analogy he used to keep track of this is that if you go to a restaurant and someone else pays your bill without you knowing it, the waiter has a choice. He can either ask you for payment in cash or he can tell you the truth, that your account is paid in full and that there is no unpaid account. Charles, let's start with you. What do you think is going on today? Well, I think that uh, in the non-judicial foreclosure world particularly, there is some fatigue, I think, on the part of homeowners. Um, And I think part of the way that we address that is by streamlining complaints, legal complaints that are brought against the, the institutional players on the other side. Typically, the nominal trust holder and a servicer who is essentially harassing homeowners and claiming to represent the right to collect on the debt. I mean, we've talked about the the various moving parts and pieces of these types of lawsuits that are capable of being brought in on judicial foreclosure sites. And, you know, attorneys around the country, including myself, have had mixed success with these. I think part of the uh, the key to upping the homeowner's game, so to speak, is to... Charles, um, I think you're breaking up a little bit. Can you get into a better position? Uh, Yes, is that better there? Oh, much better. Okay, great. So I think part of the key is to kind of up the ante, which I think your prefacing remarks speak to, and uh, truly framing the, the fundamentals that we've so often talked about, uh, exposing that the, the party claiming that they have this right to collect the debt, that due to all the defects that we, we constantly expose through financial audits uh, as one uh, means for doing so, and Bill, of course, is instrumental in that in terms of what he's been able to put forward for the attorneys that he's been working with all these years. Uh, I think the bottom line there is this needs to be streamlined and systematized in some way and to be like a solo homeowner with one solo lawsuit i mean that that can still be an effective approach but i think neil and i know you you neil uh bill and i have discussed and are essentially organizing in some fashion a way to systematize this whole process so that 
really the the ability of us to kind of get the jump and put the institutional players on the defensive in a way that hasn't really come to the fore very often. That's, that's I think, a critical element in how we would sort of change up I agree. The, the dynamics. Yeah, I agree with that totally. And I think that, um, I, I well, I agree with several things you said. One is about homeowner fatigue. Um, and uh, that, of course, leads them to not seek help, not get information, not hire people like Bill, and and not contest what is an unlawful claim. Uh, of course, they don't know that it's an unlawful claim because to them it looks like they took out a loan, they didn't pay it, and uh, and they are in default. Um, and and I think systematizing this is is the critical undertaking undertaking for us, the three of us, and everyone else now. Um, and we've already seen that devices like mass joinder and class actions are met with stiff resistance either by the courts or even by federal agencies, the FTC and so forth, who look at any mass joinder action in connection with foreclosures or mortgages as some kind of scam. So um, I'm kind of leaning at this moment towards some type of template lawsuit, just as you described, with uh, uh, that can be used on kind of a machine gun basis rather than a uh, a scatter gun class action or or, or uh, a joint uh, lawsuit by many uh, homeowners, Bill. It seems like homeowner appetite is declining while at the same time their prospects for making profits or recouping their investments are increasing. Now that the investment banks have locked themselves in telling their lies, it would be very hard, in my opinion, for them to back off of it. So what are the main things that a homeowner would get by hiring a competent forensic investigator? Well, that's, that's a great question, Neil. Um, look, we've been doing this an awful long time. Uh, you know, if you compare this to the Normandy invasion, the beachhead has been softened quite a bit over the last decade, right? We've accumulated an awful lot of intelligence, an awful lot of information, against the, the major parties that are out there um, conducting these foreclosures. And uh, uh, the accumulation of all this um, intel has really led us to completely understand that the emperor has no clothes in these transactions that they're trying to collect on these through foreclosures or whatnot. The key here is we've got to stop admitting 
and playing into the hand that they've been so successful at playing for all these years. We've got to get people to understand that the minute you start to uh, admit that you took out a loan or that you owe money or in default or that these so-called trusts trying to foreclose are real or that it holds your note or whatnot, you're playing right into their hand and you're, you're pretty much dead before you get out of the chute. You have to understand going into these cases that the only way you're going to box them in and the only way you're going to have success is you have to be committed to a very aggressive prosecution and discovery plan. And it starts by first denying everything and then seeking everything from them to prove their claim. And in doing that successfully and understanding and, and, and what I provide, obviously I've got, you know, a, a substantial, uh, database of deposition transcripts and evidence and things that these parties have been saying that's very useful when you're going to go in and draft a, a potential complaint or defend against a complaint because all these main parties in one way or another have had made substantial admissions against their own interests by stating that they all a number of things uh, that they cannot verify any accounting trail, that they don't have any books and records or receivables, that they can't memorialize any of the transactions that um, these alleged trust names that they use uh, when, they're, when they're naming a trust, I should say, in a foreclosure proceeding. Uh, they've made all kinds of um, tacit admissions, really. Uh, therefore, we're not basically going with a conspiracy theory any longer. We're not going on a fishing expedition any longer. We're going into these cases having very good intel and very good knowledge that the parties that are seeking to collect don't have the filing of false claim to collect. And so it's really, really important to, again, make sure that you do not admit a single thing, sort of like take the fifth, um, and you get your ducks prepared, you get the proper parties and experts in line, and you, pre and you prepare uh, not only a very well-detailed complaint, um, but also prepare for a very specific and aggressive prosecution plan of, of, and through discovery and compelling. Neil? Yeah, I think that is very well stated, Bill. Uh, the thing that occurred to me listening to you is, and, and Charles, see if you agree with me on this. Um, I think the main function that Bill performs, for the most part, excluding you and I, is educating the lawyer about what he's actually litigating. I think a lot I agree of lawyers, with you. Yeah, I, I think a lot of lawyers go into this with preconceived notions, just like the judge walks into the courtroom with the preconceived notion that okay, there was a loan, it's unpaid, uh, it's in default, and now the homeowner is looking to delay things. Right. I I think you're 
quite accurate in, in the way you're looking at that. I also um, have noticed over the years that uh, even foreclosure attorneys who do a lot of these types of cases, and I've been guilty of, of this myself, it's almost um, a kind of natural reflex to use conventional contract terms and contract norms for describing what's going on in these situations. I mean, yes, there was money tendered at some point for some purpose in these underlying transactions. Uh, Yet the contrived complexity that I so often talk about, that's a feature, not a bug from the uh, institutional player's point of view. So they've used that to essentially uh, confiscate money out of the arrangement. And there are all kinds of ways that plays out from the loan essentially being paid off multiple ways, Um, the loan itself not even a loan if you look at the failure to fund uh, when you break down the securitization uh, elements in detail, and so even according to temporary California, well, that the underlying transaction is void. Of course, getting yeah, you're breaking record. up again. Okay, uh, is that okay, uh, is that better? Yep. Yep. Okay. So, uh, I mean, the bottom line of what I'm trying to say is that the judicial process, whether you're in a non-judicial foreclosure state or a judicial one, yes, it has limitations, uh, but there are a lot of um, replicable approaches that can be used, and when attorneys systematize what they're doing, and as both, you know, you, Neil, and also Bill have pointed out, and I, I know this is something that we rightly emphasize uh, on this show, that is that the, um, the importance of not admitting, not, not putting on the record uh, something that, in effect, will undermine our side's position. And that starts with denying that, the transaction that takes place initially is even a loan transaction because typically it isn't. Right. And I think that, I think it's helpful to have that in mind that it wasn't a loan transaction because the homeowner doesn't end up with a lender or a, uh, a loan account uh, on the books of a lender. Uh, but I, I think this is, uh, in terms of defense, uh, I think the only important thing is that there is no loan account receivable on the accounting ledger of any creditor, and that, therefore, there's no claim. And we don't have to prove that. What we have to do is, is allege it. Um, in either an affirmative defense or in the lawsuit on defense um, that denies that 
the servicer is a servicer, that the uh, the claimant uh, is a beneficiary or uh, a mortgagee, uh, and then pursue discovery, just like Bill was talking about, uh, um, knowing that they will not be able to, and in reviewing, I was trying to figure it out. I think I've reviewed 25,000 cases now. Um, um, I've, ne I've never seen a case in which they did what they used to do, and a lot of people don't remember this, but I know that uh, uh, you, Charles, will remember it. it. It used to be that if you were having a uh, foreclosure, a, well, a judicial foreclosure, um, you needed a, a witness and an, and an exhibit, the witness testifying, I am the custodian of the records of this lender or successor lender, and here's the loan account with everything, not just the, the, the list of payments and the latest uh, uh, advances claimed to have been made by the uh, um, uh, by the so-called servicer. So I think that what we, uh, we've, we've got a two-pronged thing here, both requiring a bill or another competent forensic investigator, uh, uh, someone who is actually licensed because they have studied various aspects of what is going on here. Um, I think that on the defense side, it's keep it simple and don't try to prove that all of securitization is wrong, immoral, and fattening. But on the offensive side, and this is where the least motivation appears on the part of homeowners and lawyers, everybody's missing the opportunity that if there is no loan account receivable now or they were unable to produce evidence of it, then there's a high probability that it never existed. And if it never existed, they had no right to collect money. If they had no right to collect money, they owe it back. <clears throat> and if they were collecting money knowing that they were not entitled to collect it, then there's damages, punitive damages, exemplary damages, statutory damages, et cetera. And yeah, Neil, I, I think... think uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you here. I just I want to make one quick point here before then, is that there's a whole other aspect to this, and it's it's it deals with marketable title. Okay, when MERS came into the equation and was used for purposes of this securitization scheme, both MERS and this and and anything subject to securitization destroyed any semblance of marketable title. Marketable title is not possessed by any of these parties, and when you get into the litigation, which oftentimes leads to negotiated settlement, you'll find that they can't negotiate title. They're only talking about this lien, allegedly, that exists, and they're entering oftentimes 
settlements simply to walk away from people suing them over claims of wrongful foreclosure and whatnot, and they don't address the ability to transfer marketable title. And so what people need to understand is that um, these parties have come in and, and destroyed title and have done all these things, and then when they vanish uh, like cockroaches, they've, they've left it up to the homeowners to potentially go back and reclaim their title and argue title. It's still a big part that, that needs to be addressed. Um, that's a, because that's the, an excellent yeah. point, and and I think that that again resuggests some basic part of the Amgar strategy that I've used, which would be that if they want a forbear, if they're offering a forbearance agreement or a uh, modification agreement we know they have no right to offer it so I think the homeowner or the lawyer for the homeowner would say fine we want to accept this but we need uh, uh, assurance that let's say US Bank or Bank of New York Mellon or Deutsche Bank National Trust Company um, uh, acknowledges and first of all warrants that it owns the underlying obligation in the, in uh, in this case and acknowledges the settlement because so far we don't know that you meaning the servicer Aquin or Carrington or whoever uh, have any authority to be here and to make this offer and then when they fail to, you bring it to court saying, we want to accept what they have offered if it's real, but we need assurance that it is real because otherwise we're being left with exactly what you said, Bill, with unmarketable title. At the tail end of this, we're never going to be able to sell the property unless somebody's willing to accept insurable title with an identification from us. So I think that that's a, a real simple, inexpensive way of challenging them and getting it in front of the judge that maybe there is a problem here. Charles? Oh, I think once you focus on those first principles of market, marketable title and the fundamental issues related to title – and the way the securitization breaks in the chain of title have essentially voided any right on the part of the so-called creditor to collect. Once that's all sufficiently exposed, that's what opens up uh, the special damages, the potential punitive damages, things like intentional infliction of emotional distress, other types of tort injuries, it's actually critical in these cases, and I've found this to be qu quite often how, how cases will progress. It's important to prove out sufficiently the underlying title claims because the, 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 the other big aspects of, of, of these lawsuits and these disputes 
relating to, again, let's say emotional distress or even medical conditions that uh, the homeowners go through while they're litigating and being subjected to the foreclosures, proving out the underlying title uh, issues is critical because the other causes of action that often, of course, involve some real monetary damages to the uh, the institutional players, that's all possible by the title uh, exposure. So the title exposure is still critical to everything we're talking about. I agree with that. And I think this has been a great talk tonight. And I would just make the one additional point that the earlier you start making tracks in the sand, just like the other side does with the first contact from the so-called servicer, if you start with qualified written requests, plural, debt validation letters, plural, and complaints to the CFPB and to the State Attorney General Consumer Affairs Offices, you're making tracks in the sand, and it doesn't look like you're current defenses and claims are just a Hail Mary pass at the end trying to avoid a legitimate liability. And that kind of wraps it up for tonight. Thank you guys very much. And we will uh, reconvene on Thursday. Yes, great to be on with you, Neil. Yeah, thanks, Neil. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to N-E-I-L-F-G-A-R-F-I-E-L-D.